everyone, and welcome to the Tightwad Teacher Podcast, brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. And now, here are your hosts, Sean Keibel and John Mikulski. Welcome to the show, everyone, and uh, we're here for yet another uh, episode. I think uh, this is number four now, so uh, as always, this is Sean Keibel, and I'm joined with uh, my co-host, John Mikulski, and uh, say hey, John. Hey, how's it going? And uh, yeah, so episode four, we're starting to get kind of our feet wet, I guess, right? Yeah, you know, and I, I've noticed every single show seems to be getting uh, exponentially better, so I that, that's high hopes for, for this show. Right. Yeah. You know, you get a little bit less self-conscious, uh, as time goes on and, you know, you've got these, uh, you know, a mic in your face and you're really worried about what you're going to say. And then after you've done so many, you just kind of forget about it and say, yeah, you know, if I mess up, I mess up. Uh, which is kind of funny because if we were teaching, uh, our students, we would kind of teach them the same thing, right? Don't worry about messing up. Yeah. You know, whenever time I do podcasting with my kids, I always tell them that they can sound perfect after the editing process. So I leave that up to you, Sean, since you do the editing for us. Right. I'm assuming that when I say something stupid, you can take care of that later on. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. It's e- very easy to make a few edits and, uh, nobody will ever know. Right. So, uh, okay. So, uh, let's, let's hit into our warm up so we can, uh, get to our guest. Uh, I will mention, uh, just in case he decides he wants to chime in, uh, our guest is William Chamberlain. We're, we're calling him Bill today. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, say, Hey, Bill, while you're, uh, while we got you there. Hello, everybody. And, uh, we'll be talking we, to Bill in just a few minutes. Right. We'll get to Bill, uh, Bill's interview in just a moment. So if that's what you were, uh, chiming in or tuning in to listen to, um, uh, we'll get to that in just a few moments. But, uh, first, John, uh, I just, uh, you know, in the show notes, I got a you, story. Yeah. You've got a story here about social networking, uh, and a four year old, which I have a four year old. So you've got me intrigued. Well, I, I have a daughter. She actually just turned four, uh, June 30th. So, um, I have a story and it kind of goes along with the, the topic of the connected NIFs, uh, and that's kind of what we're talking about today on the show. Uh, but I, I, I read to her every single night for bedtime and, and so something happened the other day that, that I kind of laughed about and it really gave a nice perspective of what's happening in the world right now. Um, we're reading a story and actually one of the department stores near us has, um, every summer they sell these discounted, uh, children's classics, uh, abridged versions of, of stories, you know, Oliver Twist and, uh, Alice in Wonderland, those kinds of, of books. So we were reading um, Wizard of Oz. We spend every every night, I read a couple books out of this little abridged version of Wizard of Oz. And we get to the end, and there's a, a line about the lion crying because Dorothy has uh, now is going away, going back to Kansas. And uh, my daughter, Sophie, turns to me and says, after I finish reading that, she turns and says, well, why is the lion crying? And I said, well, because he's going to miss Dorothy. Dorothy's going home. And Sophie looked at me and just said, well, doesn't Dorothy have Facebook? And, uh, <laughs> and, and that I think that really illustrates exactly uh, how big Facebook is and how social networking in general has pretty much just invaded uh, culture and subsequently ruined every book for my daughter. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, <laughs> that's funny to think of. I'm, I'm surprised uh, I haven't been hit with something like that for mine. I have a four-year-old daughter as well. Uh, she'll be five in uh, October. And, uh, she hasn't quite hit me up with that one yet, but it's pretty amazing how, uh, at, at those ages, I think as young as two, my daughter was surfing the web. So, uh, yeah, I think it it just showed to me, um, 
how big Facebook has become, and it's also showed that my wife and I just spend way too much time on it for her to, to have that thought in her head. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Well, uh, that actually leads right into uh, kind of my warm-up item, and I just want to throw it out there um, because on uh, my other show, The Tightwad Tech, we actually did a, a full episode on this last night. Um, and we recorded last night, and it, it will release, uh, I think, next week. But uh, Google+, Plus, so uh, more social networking, uh, Google's new uh, – uh, social networking, uh, I don't want to call it an application, but, uh, their website. Um, I just got my invite and this is an invite only type thing as Google often does. Uh, or early part of this week, tail end of last week, I think, I think it was Monday, uh, or maybe even over the weekend, I got it. And, uh, Pretty amazing stuff. I'm just going to, I'm not going to go into too much detail, but it is in what they're calling a field trial. I guess I would call it maybe a beta. There's a few things that are not quite uh, working perfectly yet, but uh, very neat, very Facebook-like, and uh, gives you a heck of a lot more control over your information and how you share that with people. So, um, if you don't have an invite, you might want to scrounge around for one. Basically all it takes, and it seems like they're approving anybody and everybody. So, uh, is finding somebody who has a Google Plus account and, uh, asking them for an invite. You do have to have a Google, um, well, I don't know if you necessarily, I guess you would have to have a Gmail account as well, but, uh, what they're saying really is that you have to have a Google, um, profile is what they're calling it. So uh, you have to have a Google profile set up. I've had a Gmail account forever, uh, but had never gone in and actually set up my profile. So, uh, you, you've got to have that in place before to work. So check it out if you can. It's, uh, really neat. I'm kind of crossing my fingers that maybe it's the next big thing, uh, cause it sure is a lot of fun to play with. So have you had any, you know, my any only Oh, go ahead. No, you know, my only my only concern with it is that it will be the next big thing, and then that's one more thing that I have to commit all this time to because, uh, you know, it, it seems like that's always happening is one new thing comes, but nothing leaves. You know, right. you know? so I'd still have my Facebook and my Twitter and you know whatever <laughs> else, and now there's one more thing that I have to like jump on and and, and stay uh, in touch with. Yeah, I think um, I'm kind of curious to see how it plays out over time. Uh, definitely the, you know, and we, our very first show, we talked with Shelly Terrell uh, about PLNs and, uh, you know, using those tools for that type of stuff. And right now, and I don't know if it's just because the circles that it's moving through, but uh, mine is extremely heavy in those types of people. So other educators and uh, other uh, IT professionals and things like that. So um, my network network has exploded. As a matter of fact, it's probably twice the size that it is on Facebook um, or Twitter. Uh, so it, it's got a lot of, uh, I don't know, it's just exploding right up front. You know, it's, it's really taking off. And uh, so I'm kind of curious to see where it goes. You're right. I wonder about that is, you know, it, it basically is doomed to fail if people don't come to it. Right. So, well, you know, it's funny because I think someone put up, I don't remember who it was, but I was looking at Twitter yesterday. And one of the people I follow wrote something like, just signed up for Google Plus, and it's the last thing, I swear. <laughs> so uh, I'm not I'm not alone in feeling that way. I, I think I'm just going to sit back for the first couple of weeks and, uh, 
and see what those initial reviews are and then then gear myself up and, and jump right in. Right, right. Well, uh, that's, uh, you know, it's one of those things. And I was actually thinking that earlier about really about that earlier today. And, and I think that's where maybe the older generations and I'm talking about anybody over 30. So uh, if you're over 30, you're old nowadays. Uh, <laughs> the, the older generations are really going to have to I think that's what's going to make us the old guy that sits in his house by himself and never talks to anybody um, is you're either going to be the type of person that's going to roll with those punches and kind of always be willing to adopt the next new thing that comes along or eventually you're just not. And there's going to be a bunch of us sitting around, you know, 60 years old at home on Facebook um, and uh, not really having any, not really being in touch with the current world. Um, so I right. think somehow, and it may not be, be Facebook. It might be something that, you know, is going to be invented 10 years from now. But, um, it, it just, it seemed funny, you know, when you're, when you're, uh, relatively younger, you know, you're in your thirties, forties, fifties, whatever, uh, you don't think of yourself as ever being that person, right? Like right now we have grandma and she doesn't even know how to turn a computer on and you don't ever think of yourself as being that person. But I, I really suspect that the social, the online social space is going to be that for, uh, you know, our generation. Um, oh, absolutely. You know, eventually we just won't be willing to keep up with it and we'll just kind of fall by the wayside. Well, unless, unless you side with, with Prince, did you ever hear that uh, Prince's uh, critique of, of the web? He refused to, to send out his stuff in digital music or something. Right. Uh, right. Sell his, his music. And, and his response was because, um, the internet is just a fad. <laughs> so maybe, maybe if you side with him, you, that there's grounds uh, to avoid all this stuff. But I, I have a feeling that he's not, he's not dead on with that one. Yeah, I think purple clothing was a fad too. <laughs> yeah. Anyone who name whose name was a symbol for a while, I don't right. really give much credence to that. <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I just, you know, thought I'd throw it out there. It, it I think be somewhat remiss, uh, to not at least mention it. Um, you know, we do have some lag time in this show as far as w between when we're recording and release it, but, um, you know, thought I'd go ahead and throw it out there and, you know, you'll probably hear us talk about it from time to time going forward. So, um, anything else on that, John? No, I think you pretty much covered it I, i'm just kind of curious to see like like i said earlier uh, what's going to happen with it in the next few weeks and and i think what you're going to see especially with teachers and, and educators in general we're pretty good at, at finding how to make something work in the classroom so uh, especially when september rolls around and everyone go, goes back to school I, i'm really curious to see how they're going to start to push google plus into the classroom so uh that'll probably be the point when i, I jump on it yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and one thing that's kind of holding that back, I think, for a lot of schools, it wouldn't hold it back for our school district. We're very open, but um, a lot of schools are not going to like the openness of it, just like they don't like the openness of Facebook. Uh, but schools who are on Google Apps for domains, there's a uh, you know a ray of hope there in that uh, right now Google Profiles is not available to Google Apps for domain users which is what, you know, school districts are using to keep that kind of walled garden intact. Uh, but uh, that is supposed to be coming this year. As a matter of fact, they announced, I think it was in March, that they were going to be, that would be coming soon to Google Apps for domains. And uh, we don't have that yet. 
but uh, I'm hopeful that it will be before the end of the year. Of course, Google has a history of telling you it's going to have something soon. And, you know, two years later, it still doesn't have it either. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. They take their time. Wasn't Gmail in beta for like four years? Or yeah. Forever. <laughs> yeah. The, the joke was whether or not Gmail would ever come out of beta. So, right. Uh, and I really suspect that we're probably going to go through the same thing with Google Plus because, uh, you know, there, once you see it and you see the basic functionality of it, your mind starts racing on just what all the other possibilities are. And you got to know that the people at Google are thinking the same things and they're working on those things. So I think it's going to be in beta for quite a while. Sure. So, all right. Well, enough uh, enough of that for now. Let's uh, not keep our guest waiting anymore. Uh, we're going to... Uh, I would say get him in like uh, we're bringing you in from the green room there, Bill. But uh, William Chamberlain, we're, uh, he goes by Bill and uh, he's a teacher uh, with, uh, well, Bill, actually, I'm just going to let you introduce yourself. Tell yourself, uh, tell our guests and us uh, about yourself. All right. Um, I teach for McDonald County School District in southwest Missouri. We happen to be the largest by by square miles school district in the state. Um, it's a very um, rural school district. It's, um, it's not wealthy at all. Um, we have a, a very high, uh, free and reduced lunch count. Um, I've been teaching for, I, I don't know, for, I don't know how long, 14 years, something like that. <laughs> um, you know, they just kind of run together after a right, while. Right, right. <laughs> um, I've been, uh, adjunct professor for Crowder College for the past year and a half. Um, my wife and I are youth leaders at our church and, and um, uh, thanks to uh, some friends online, I decided to strike out and learn to play musical instruments. So I'm working on a ukulele. Oh, great instrument. <laughs> yeah, that is. That is a cool instrument to learn. So uh, I'm not even sure. Does a ukulele, is it like six string like a guitar? Nope, four, it's right? four, like a, a bass guitar. Okay, okay. But you, you, know, pl I but you play it like a guitar, my... right? I'm sorry? You play it like a guitar though, right? Right, you strum it. Um, you can you can pick it, or you can strum it, or you can do both. Okay. I can play a little bit of, of guitar and a little bit of piano. And uh, just a couple weeks ago, I was looking on, on Craigslist just to see what was there, and someone was selling an accordion. So I posted on Facebook that I really wanted to learn how to play accordion. And uh, I think my my brother shot me down as eloquently eloquently as as possible. He said, um, a true gentleman is one who knows how to play accordion, but doesn't. <laughs> so um, I guess I'm going to scratch that that big dream. <laughs> you know, it's funny you mentioned that. I uh, I dodged that bullet when I was young, uh, and I'm, I'm not sure exactly how old I was, maybe around uh, nine, ten years old. And my parents kind of went through that evolution with me. They're like, well, uh, we want to get him into some sort of musical instrument. And I don't know how, but they fell upon the accordion. And so they got me signed up for lessons and I was going and doing these lessons. And uh, I, I, I guess I got quite good at it. And it was at this point when uh, the music shop or whatever uh, said, well, you know, to continue on, he really needs to get this full size accordion. I don't, I don't know all the terminology, but uh, so they were, they started trying to sell my parents on this uh, $1,500 accordion. And of course this was back in like the early eighties. So uh, you might as well have been trying to sell them a new car. And uh, that's when my accordion lessons stopped. So <laughs> Oh, that's too bad. Yeah, looking back on it, I was like, whoo, boy, I dodged a bullet there. 
Yeah, I, you really just can't pick up girls playing the accordion like you can playing drums. You know? Right, right. Or even a ukulele, right? I mean, a ukulele yeah. is cool, you know? Yeah, and you can carry it around with you. Right, you yeah. Go. So, uh, well, be, okay, well, uh, John, why don't you uh, lead us into uh, our discussion yeah. topics and we'll, we'll, I guess, charge well, forward. Sure. Bill, I, I have one question for you before we really get into it. See, the whole topic today is transparency and, and being able to connect with your students and other people in your room. Uh, in your classroom, but just from what you were saying about your actual the logistics of of your district and being so big and so rural, do you have a problem or do you find uh, an issue where you have students who don't have internet access or, or or computers at home? What what is that like there? Oh, absolutely. We I would say um, the number one device that my students have that has internet access would be a cell phone, and um, most most of my kids have cell phones, maybe a third to a quarter of them are smartphones. And so we and the the students that have computers that are online are probably about about 20, 25 percent. We do have a, a library in our small town where kids can access the Internet. But um, for the most part, if they're not online at school, they're not online. Well, and that's just something to note, because anytime I talk about this topic with other teachers, the first thing I say is, well, what happens if you have a kid that doesn't have internet? So it just goes to show that that can be circumvented. You know, if you're being, if you're able to do it and you do it so well, I'm just looking at your, your, your class website, your class blog. If, if you can do it in a rural community, then anybody can do it. So kudos to you. That's awesome. Thanks. Um, so let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, starting off with blogs, actually, um, I didn't really think about this until afterward, after we had, we had talked about, uh, setting this up. But you're also uh, one of the, the founders of Comments for Kids, the hashtag on Twitter. So you must do a lot with blogging and that kind of stuff. Um, so why don't we start with, with that piece of communication. Tell us a little bit about what you do with your blog um, and also how that started with the idea of Comments for Kids. Okay. Um, I started blogging um, a little over five years ago. Uh, I moved to Blogger um, in December. Um, so it'll be five years in December when I started my, my class blog on Blogger. Um, it was, it was, it was a way for me to, to, um, explore what was going on outside. I had a computer lab, um, in my classroom. It was a two to one, two, two students per computer. And, um, I wanted a, a place for them to, you know, congregate to begin with, to go out with do, doing lessons and things. And we started out using a, um, the old, um, static web page with the FTP server. And, and that was a nightmare if you've ever done that. Every time you change something, you break everything else. It's, it's, it was horrible. Um, so after, um, I discovered blogging, I thought this is a much better way to organize the, you know, the starting point, the jump off point. Um, and over time, it, it's become, for me, it's where my students go to figure, to find the lessons, um, that I want them to have. They get the links to where I want them to go. Um, and, um, they, they then blog themselves usually blog themselves the um, answers or the writing or whatever I expect them to do to show me what they've learned. Comments for kids started because I just, I'm go ahead. I was just going to say real quick, just to interject there. Uh, you know, I have a school blog that I use in my classroom. I'm a seventh and eighth grade ELA teacher. And, um, I think I have like 20 or 30 parents who subscribe to it, which I, I would assume is pretty typical of the standard uh, class block. But I just have to say yours, 
I think goes above and beyond that because I'm just browsing through it now and you have over 200 people subscribing. So it's interesting that your class blog has turned into more than just a traditional class blog. It truly is connecting other people because I'm certain those 200 subscribers aren't students, <laughs> right? Well, yeah, actually, I don't. I don't believe I have any parents that follow the blog um, through an RSS feed or anything that I'm aware of. As I said, we our parents just don't really have access to the internet, and the parents that do have access to the internet, it's more of an entertainment thing than it is a um, an educational portal. So um, those 200 plus people that are following it um, through Google are um, other teachers. Um, other education students, people like that who find the blog and, and want to, you know, and see it as a, uh, a thing that can model for them, basically. Sure. Yeah, and that actually brings us back to where I, I cut you off from. They probably found your blog a lot from the comments for kids hashtag. So explain that for anyone who, who isn't aware yet. Okay, so um, I started comments for kids with uh, uh, Carrie Pohanka from Fredericksburg, Virginia, and another teacher, Derek Smith from Colorado Springs, um, we were basically um, having a gripe session on Twitter uh, about how hard it was for me to get my um, students' work to be noticed by anyone outside of, well, basically anywhere. Um, hashtags at the time were still a relatively new kind of thing, and um, while we were talking uh, about it, the idea came up that we would be able to create a hashtag that would uh, help people discover um, good blog posts that students were writing. So the idea was a teacher would put up the URL of a good blog post and other people online would be able to see that and then go and, and give them some encouragement. And, um, it was, it was pretty well received. Um, it kind of puttered along for a while, but it really kind of blew up, um, last year. I guess it hit a tipping point or something and, um, and, and it's what's really phenomenal to me about it is um, because of um, the development of my blog and the way it worked out, a lot of the blogs that I used to model my blog were from um, England originally and then Australia and New Zealand. Um, they were, for the most part, um, way ahead of most uh, United States schools as, as far as their blogging. And so I was, I was um, in communications with them and um, comments for kids um, has really started to pick up um, internationally as well, and that's really um, something I'm I'm pleased with. You know, uh, you saying that I, I've lived abroad as well. I, well. I lived in Japan, and those types of things really struck me. Is you could see things like that. So we in America like to think that we're just the latest and greatest at everything, and uh, you go into some of these other countries and developed countries, and you see maybe some of the things that either their kids are doing or they're doing over there with technology, and uh, sometimes it can be humbling because uh, you know you don't like to think about it, but you can go to another country and they may actually uh, you know be ahead of us in some areas, um, and you certainly wouldn't like to think that uh, with our students. <laughs> well, uh, they do have they do have some advantages. Um, because they are smaller, not only in size, but in population, um, they all also tend to um, have a um, top-down kind of dictatorial thing. And, and when the head of the education department of their country says, we're going to do this, it's pretty much has to be done. So um, 
when uh, you know here it, it's it's district by district school by school teacher by teacher um but um in some countries you know it's like you will have an online presence so you better get started right right so yeah yeah like you said so it's more of a leadership from that. the top down thing right go ahead john well i i just know speaking from experience with my kids uh, I've used that comments for kids hashtag because there's just something special about someone that you don't know reading your work. And uh, it, it's just not the same as when I have my students do their own blog posts and then have each other comment on it because ultimately you get a lot of kind of trivial responses. And um, it just opens them up and I think they really truly realize that it's the real world and that the internet is everybody uh, interacting with each other. So, uh, Again, it's just awesome. It's such a cool thing to use. And if you haven't taken a look at it, you know, anyone, any of our, our loyal, the, the three people who are listening right now, um, <laughs> it's awesome. It's just, you got to check that out on Twitter. There is uh, the, um, the idea of commenting on, um, other students' posts, um, is kind of evolving in my mind. Uh, we, again, this is being led by, um, New Zealand, Australia, they're, they're, um, creating, uh, small groups of classrooms that, um, spend time with each other's classrooms online and, and they are consistently commenting with each other and basically creating a, a social network amongst themselves through the, the exploration of their, uh, students' blog posts. And to me, it's one thing to say, okay, somebody from around the world is, checked out my post, but it's something completely different when you start to develop a relationship with them. And um, what I would like to encourage people to do is um, not, you know, it's great to do the random drive-by comment, but I think if you can get your, if you get yourself or your students to consistently go back to a particular blog or a particular blogger that um, you feel a connection with and start to develop a relationship, I think you're going to get much more out of it than just, um, just the, uh, you know, the, the, the quick thrill of the, um, connection. Awesome. I'm, I'm curious, do you, are do you see any trends like that around the world since, uh, you've been doing this for quite a while and I'm sure you've made uh, quite a few connections ac across the globe. Do you see certain, certain areas of the world that are maybe, uh, maybe because it's culturally they're more open or even technologically they're just more connected? Do you see, uh, you mentioned New Zealand and Australia and, uh, I've also been to Australia and those, just the people of Australia seem very open and friendly. So it wouldn't surprise me that maybe they'd be more open to an idea like this, having blogging in the classroom. Um, do you see any trends like that? My impression is that um, because of the size of the education community, they're a lot closer. We tend to be really spread out. For example, my um, my town, I, this is an extreme example, but my town, um, the closest town to us that has another school is about um, six or seven miles away. Um, our, our high school is about 10 miles away from my town and 25, 30 miles away from some of the other towns. So even in our district, we don't get together that often as teachers and, and, and collaborate. We're very insulated within our school building. And I think, um, to a certain extent, I think a lot, a lot of teachers in the United States are that way, whether it's because they're rural or because they're, or they're in a, um, situation where there's no, no time created 
for interaction among the teachers. I do notice um, that a lot of Australian and New Zealand teachers, they tend to have a lot of conferences where the people that at least I have a relationship to and I pay attention to um, seem to meet up and have a good time. Um, so they have a much smaller um, educational community, and I think that probably makes it easier for them to um, create those connections than, than you know, the, the huge community we have in the United States. Well, it's just my perception. And along those same lines, I know I, I work in a very small rural school district as well. Uh, so it sounds like very similar to, to where you're at. And uh, we are extremely open, but that kind of mirrors that whole small town mentality, right? I mean, everybody's into everybody's business in a small town. <laughs> So, uh, so yeah, but you never talk about education. It's always about something else. Right, right. Well, you know, but at least the mentality is there, right? So we can run blogs and things and kids are in Facebook at, at school and, uh, it just doesn't cause this, uh, this huge stir. And, uh, people will make, uh, points that, you know, if they're from a humongous school district and, uh, there's so much, uh, you know, there's politics start really coming into play and, uh, you know, just exponentially, you've got so many more parents and a more closed down environment. So, uh, do you have any idea or any thoughts on, uh, how that scales? I mean, uh, or have you seen any trends? Have you seen, uh, some large uh, districts that are able to pull that off? The, um, coming together more cohesively. Is that particularly what you're saying? Well, just, uh, I guess being open to the idea, and I guess what I'm trying to get at is the heart of uh, one of my frustrations is just seeing so many school districts out there that are really uh, closed. You know, we're talking about, uh, you know, breaking down the walls and uh, there's so many out there that it's like they're still stacking bricks, you know. And uh, so I'm just. It, but oh, go ahead. when you think about it. Um when you think about it, it's understandable that uh, these large, these extremely over large school districts um, tend to lock down the Internet so much because there's oh, you don't tend to trust people you don't know. And the people that are making these decisions don't know the teachers that are working in the classrooms. So if you if you say if you're in the Los Angeles school district or the St. Louis school district and one of your teachers pulls a boner, you know, gets does something really stupid. Um, it makes the whole district look bad. Um, and there's no way for those people to really gauge, you know, what's going on in the minds of the, of the people because they never meet them. They don't know them. So you get in a smaller school district. I think perhaps it just in, in, in you know, it gives a, a little bit more trust. Um, or it could just simply be that smaller school districts, the people that are in charge don't have, have the time to, to really been thinking about this they have budget problems and other things that they're working on that are you know more important so it could be yeah, it's just it's easier sometimes to lock it down than to try to sort through what what's right and what what's wrong about it right or or you know i, I i'm definitely not for locking down i can just see they're they're thinking that you know one person does something, you know, if, if one get, one teacher gets caught in a social media site inappropriately, then the entire world knows about it, and that makes our school district look bad. So it's easier just to make sure that nobody gets to do that than it is to, to trust the people 
to do what's right. Well, sure, and I you mean, know, even actually, uh, that, people's that livelihoods. Real nicely into it. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> oh, well, I was just going to say, uh, people's livelihoods ahead, can be on on the line as well. I mean, if you're a, a superintendent or uh, any kind of a upper level administrator in a school district, and something like that goes on during your watch, then uh, you could be looking at uh, being out of work, and uh, you know having to worry about uh, where, where you're going to get your next paycheck. So uh, it's certainly understandable. Uh, I, I think just so often leaders, uh, leadership in these school districts kind of takes that as the scapegoat, I guess, you know, it just takes that as the easy way out. And uh, rather than, you know, creating an environment where uh, things like this can go on. And, you know, I think with proper training and creating a, a proper environment, uh, you should be able to control those types of situations. Yeah. And I think, yeah, you know, Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, John. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, I was going to say this. this. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead. I was, if these decisions were, were made more locally, I think if the principal um, had the, uh, you know, the final say in what gets locked down, what doesn't get locked down. They know the, the kids, they know the, the teachers better. And ultimately, um, they're, they're the first line, administrative line. They're the ones that are going to get mailed for it either way. I think if they are the ones that, um, and they should be the ones that make these types of calls before, you know, your superintendent or, or your, your chief technology officer or something, because these are the people that are working with the teachers and should know what they're going to be doing with it. And they should, they should have that open dialogue already. Sure. You know, the only problem with that is kind of going back to what Sean said earlier, if you're over like that age of 30 now and you start to lose touch with all these new trends, it's really hard to keep up with them yourself. And I think a lot of principals fall in that category. So it's really hard for them to either, promote or condemn something because they it's just not in their world they don't know it you know especially if you're talking about a, a seasoned principal so they might be very good at what they do a very strong leader but they're 50 years old and they may not know what the most uh current educational technology trends are so that's kind of <laughs> where that that gray area comes in but you're absolutely right about that yeah yeah it's really it's it's a difficult but you know this is not this is not a technology issue this is a this this is a um a trust issue it's it's a a methodology issue it's not just technology that's taking the hit in the classrooms from administrators that um don't don't want to explore or do new things it's um uh it's uh getting rid of worksheets or or not using textbooks all the time or or having um having flexible planning periods you know things like that that are that we see as something that is necessary, they, they might see as, um, uh, you know, dangerous, uh, you know, getting away from the way things have been done. Yeah, it's, it's evil change. And that ties change. in actually really nice with, with something I noticed. There's something on, actually, the reason why I, I, I don't even know how I found your blog, to be honest. You must have sent it, or someone either sent out a link at some point. Um, so I clicked on it, and, and as soon as I saw it, I, I had to talk to you. And the reason, really... I was amazed if you go to uh, Bill's class blog, it's Mr. C's class blog blogspot.com. Uh, you have all kinds of links on there for teachers or parents or whoever to connect to you. I mean, you have your Skype on there. You have your Google Voice information. You even have um, two separate Ustream uh, links there. So I looked at it and thought, I'm in a school actually with, that you two were just talking about. I'm in a fairly large school. I think we graduate like just on 
there are 350 kids a year. In my building alone, there's about 1,100 kids. And we are very much on lockdown with a lot of technologies. We just got YouTube opened up for teachers last year. Up until then, it had been blocked for everybody. Wow. So as soon as I saw your blog and I saw you have a, a Ustream where you actually, I look back at some of the recorded stuff you have there, but you had streamed like live discussions from your, your students right into the web. If I did that, it would it would cause panic in my school. So I thought that was really cool. I want to talk a little bit about about you doing that and, and just how that works, uh, both from that administrative standpoint, like what kind of red tape did you have to get through, um, if any, and also, you know, what you've done with that. <laughs> that's a, that's a, that's kind of interesting. Um, originally, um, I'm just a guy that likes to tinker and play, and it's not a matter of necessarily of me finding a particularly good educational reason to do something. It's just, something I think that would be fun or that the kids would think was cool or, or something like that. And the way um, streaming actually began was um, a, a, a co-teacher had an extra webcam that she had used for a class the, the semester before and she was done with it. And she um, asked me if I wanted to play with it. So I, I took it and um, basically I hooked it up and started um, just live streaming my classroom. Of course, at the time I was using some software I'd found, some free software, uh, um, and and there was no links out. And it was just kind of something cool. And then I started looking at, I started hearing about Ustream and and how you can you basically live stream. You can just set up a camera and stream 24/7. I thought, well, that would be that would be really kind of a cool thing. So uh, I set up a Ustream account and um, figured out how to embed it on my blog, and and then I did it. And I started streaming, and about two, three days later, I thought, you know, maybe I should have asked my principal about that. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way to go for it. Don't ask for permission. Ask for forgiveness. It, it just, it's easier to ask later. Yep. Right. It, it, it just doesn't occur to me because I really view my classroom as a public space anyway. It's a public school. Um, while we have um, safety issues now and people, you know, it, it's – you know, it's easier to steal gold out of Fort Knox than it is to walk down a hallway in a class in a school these days. Um, I always thought that it's great whenever somebody just showed up to see what was going on in the classroom because it is a public space and I think the public needs to know what's going on. Um, and so it was just a natural progression to this. Um, so when I set up the camera, I was just thinking, ah, you know, maybe some parents will watch it. They'll think it's kind of neat, stuff like that. So um, I just started running it. And when I went and told my principal, he basically looked at me and said, I really don't know. I want to know about it. I really don't know what, want to know what you're doing. You just, you do whatever you want to do. Just make sure that it's safe and um, just go from there. So I've been running Ustream probably for three years or so in my classroom, maybe four years. It's been a long time. And I, and basically what I do is I just run it all day, all night. Um, I restart it when my computer crashes or something like that. But uh, for the most part, during the school year, it is it's on all the time. Wow! And I do use and I do use it as a camcorder, if you will. If we're doing something interesting, um, I'll record it and put it up. Now I will say that I don't run the audio. Um, there's um, I, I'm just not comfortable with with kids uh, and their everyday banner talking all the time, but I do run the video. Um, we turn the audio on sometimes if they're doing something, um, but they know about it. Um, I've, 
I kind of feel like if I leave the audio open, that might really cut down on classroom conversation and it might cut down on um, students willing to answer questions and things like that because they don't, it's one thing to sound stupid in front of your peers. It's something else to sound, sound stupid in front of the world. And <laughs> I really feel that it might be a better idea just not to do that. And plus, you know, occasionally they say something really crude or immature and um, that's not really the message I want to send. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if you said earlier, uh, if so, uh, remind me, but what what age students are you working with? When I started um, this, I was working with fifth graders. So um, basically, if you tuned in, you would watch the day in the life of a fifth grader. You'd see him. Uh, I was teaching three three classes of science. We had a rotating schedule. So you'd see three three classes of science. You'd see reading. You'd see spelling. You'd see grammar. Um so that's what you basically see in a day. Um, in the last couple of years, I've been working in a computer lab and we've been doing, uh, I've been teaching keyboarding and, and a few other classes. And let me tell you, watching keyboarding is pretty dull. <laughs> oh, even, yeah. even with the sound on, it's pretty dull. Um, and this year, um, things, uh, we have a new principal, uh, my last principal, um, retired and, uh, some things are being shaken up a little bit. So I don't really know what I'm going to be doing. Um, well, and I don't even know if I'll have this webcam on because I haven't talked to my new principal about it. Although, again, it's been something I've been doing for a long time and nobody's had a complaint. And I have had um, the superintendent, the past superintendent, the superintendent and assistant superintendent um, comment to me about being able to watch. And I've never had anything negative come from them about that. As a matter of fact, they really like it when I stream something, um, when something's going on special, and then I alert the district so other people can watch. I've streamed our district county spelling bee. Um, I, something fun I did a couple years ago was um, during basketball games, I would, um, I would run the camera for the basketball games, and I'd have one of the other coaches run a play-by-play. And okay. we had a lot of fun with that. We had parents from all over the United States or grandparents or cousins watching their, their uh, loved ones playing basketball. And that was a lot of fun too. That's, that's awesome. Uh, I'm, uh, you know, you, you talk about these things and that's, I mean, that's even progressive for us. Uh, and we have things pretty well, almost wide open here in our district. Uh, but we haven't had anybody quite go uh, that far. Uh, I'm kind of curious. It raises, uh, some, uh, I guess issues and definitely ones that, uh, some people would bring up, uh, is, you know, are there any concerns for, uh, I, I'm going to say, I guess not pri- privacy. Uh, you're the one that would be, um, worried about that. Although I'm cu- curious if any parents have raised any questions or concerns about privacy or safety of the kids, or have you heard anything about that? Um, we, our district has an opt out policy. So the parents have to sign a, a form that says they do not want their, um, students to be viewed in a, in a public way. That includes no names for, um, when they win awards, uh, honor roll. They can't be student of the month, you know, have their name or picture, or anything, any, anything like that. And when they see that, that pop, that opportunity is taken away from their student. It, we've only had a couple, um, since I've been doing this, we've only had a couple, um, parents in our building. They weren't in my classroom or in my, my grade level that, uh, wanted that. And it was always part of a, you know, custody battle or something. Yeah, sure. Um, I have, I have had some parents worry in general about students being online. Um, and, uh, I explained to them that we, by law, we have to go through uh, content filtering, 
Um, our state has a, a content filtering system set up that everybody uses, and um, it does a pretty good job. Um, but for the most part, it seems that they're not so much worried about the, what the students are going to see. They're worried about, um, um, you know, kidnapping and things like that. Um, the media has done an excellent job of making parents afraid of the Internet. And um, when you explain to them that they're more likely to be abducted walking home from school than they are because of meeting someone online, uh, usually they start to change their attitude. Uh, occasionally, the, it's just an irrational fear. You know, everybody's got a rational fear of something. So some people are just scared of their kids being online and meeting strangers. Sure. Well, I had a similar situation come up just this past year. Um, had a student in one of my classes and it was like you said, it was some sort of a custody situation. And actually, I think that part was really wrapped up, but, uh, the mother was, uh, was in a bad way and, uh, apparently was, uh, uh, Disturbed individual, I guess is the best way. I didn't ever really get any details, but uh, this student was posting or made a post on Facebook during the day and, uh, the father came down and just was, was freaking out about it, but, uh, seemed like a legitimate concern. Uh, he, you know, they're basically the mother's not to know where the child is or have any contact with her. So, uh, you know, we basically just got the notice, Hey, she's not to be on any of those sites. And, uh, you know, she was, she was good about it. Uh, uh, presumably I'm guessing the principal was the one that had the talk with the student, but, um, I never had an issue with it. She knew that she couldn't be on those sites. And uh, of course I always kept a, an eye on what my students were doing and, uh, we never had an issue, but you know, it seemed like a viable reason for me. Uh, I could certainly see if you've got some sort of special situation like that going on. Absolutely. Um, you know, there's as many people as there are in the world, there's different stories and things going on in their lives. And um, whenever, a, whenever a parent asks for a, a specific request for the child, I'm more than happy to grant it because um, I know that there are times when I ask teachers for, you know, special things for my children as well. And um, we're, we're not teaching uh, content, we're teaching kids and, and I think sometimes it's easy for us to forget that we're, we get wrapped up in our lessons or where we're headed and we forget that these are individuals that have needs and, and, um, we need, we need to meet the needs first before we can get them to, uh, you know, into that point where they can learn from us. So it's a trust thing. Absolutely. Well, and, and you're certainly, you're certainly demonstrating that too. Um, I asked you in, in our show notes. Uh, about a, a success story and using these kinds of things, and you listed three of them. So we'll we'll be sharing those uh, out because I, I looked at each one and they're pretty amazing. But why don't you you know pick one one of your favorites, something that you've done uh, using this kind of interaction in your classroom, and, and tell us a little bit about it. Well, the the first one is there's a there's a backstory to it which is kind of humorous. Um, I had a a I have a friend online that. Um, had a friend who was teaching a Spanish class and she tweeted out that uh, her Spanish students would like to have a conversation um, with some um, Spanish, with some Spanish speaking um, first language students. And um, she was looking for, for a school in Mexico or something like that. And I tweeted back, I said, well, we're kind of like Mexico, about half our population are Hispanic, um, and that's their first language. And so I said, I'd be happy to set you up with our ESL teacher, and um, the, your class can talk to our um, 
ESL kids that way and have, you know, and, and kind of do that. The day that we were supposed to, that we had it all set up to go, um, we had a power outage at our, in our town. The, one of the transformers exploded outside of town and we were basically completely without power for hours and it was getting closer and closer to the time and I was panicking. I couldn't get it online. Our internet was out of course. Um, I didn't have a phone number to call. Uh, that's when I learned that you really need to have a phone number if you're going to do something like that so that you can make contact that way, if not any other way. And um, then I realized that I had set up my phone so that I could uh, send a Twitter message from my phone. So I started uh, tweeting out that I wasn't going to be able to do this to these individuals. And um, to send a direct message, you're supposed to put a D and then a space. Um, I, when I was sending it from my um, phone, I, I wasn't really that good about that sort of thing at the time. And um, so I was putting D and then the at sign. So everybody <laughs> was getting my messages that I was sending out. Fortunately, they got them. And, and somebody online sent me a, a message back saying, um, you just put the D and then the space. That way we are not all reading your personal uh, tweets. Um, so that was a, a transparency by accident, I guess. Um, but eventually they, we got together and um, they had uh, a fun little conversation. It was, it was really interesting because the, uh, the kids that were from the Spanish class, they would say something and then the students would all turn around and look at me like I don't know what they were saying or, or they talk funny or something. And I was like, don't look at me. I can't speak Spanish. So <laughs> it was kind of, it was kind of an interesting um, uh, thing. So that was, that was a lot of fun. And um, um, I think that was a good way to share with a lot of the kids, you know, some of the possibilities that we had. The yeah, even little cultural stuff like that comes through. Oh, oh yeah. And, you know, um, I know that some kids are, are able to communicate with family members, um, in other countries now because of they, what we, they've witnessed with us using Skype in the classroom. They say, well, my, my uncle and aunt have a computer so we can use Skype to call them. And, and now they have much better, you know, easier time communicating with extended family members that way too. So it, it works out really well. The second story is, it's just kind of, it's kind of a huge story. Um, uh, basically, what happened was uh, I noticed a tweet online um, from uh, Jabez Rathdana. I hope I get his name right. You know when you're reading names on Twitter, they don't sound like when you hear them in real life? Right. <laughs> That's oh, yeah. kind of how kind of how it works. Yeah. Um, so Jabez had this, uh, had tweeted out, um, he had taken his daughter, they were living in Qatar, and he had taken his daughter out with a camera and she took some pictures and then they um, narrated the pictures with some audio and um, and it was really cute. And my my kids were, it was like a one of those Fridays where the, I think it was a Friday, it was one of those days when the kids were um, just working on finishing up some work or, or, or doing some exploration or something. And I, and I said, Hey, come look at this. This is pretty cool. So the kids saw that and they, and they, um, they said, this, this is pretty cool. And I said, well, let's go to their, let's go to her site. I'll send you the link and you guys go to her site and you leave a comment, make, you know, say something nice and encouraging. So they went and they started leaving comments and, um, and then I got, and I, I was still watching the Twitter feed and JBS got back on and asked um, who was leaving all the comments. And I told him it was us. And he ended up Skyping into the class and, 
um, talking to my students. They asked him all sorts of questions about uh, what what life was like. The, the pictures they took, it made it look like he was living in the desert, but um, um, where he was living is a is not like that at all. And it, it was just a really great cultural experience, just kind of a spur of the moment kind of thing. It's it's the kind of thing that teachers really love to have happen. Like when the former student walks in and they've been living in Australia, and so you, they get to talk to your students for 30 minutes about what it was, life was like there or something like that. So it was kind of that kind of thing. And um, from there, it was uh, it was picked up and um, Dean Sheriff's uh, K-12 online video conference, he talked to Jabez about it a little bit. And, um, and it, it was just a, it was a kind of a fun little thing that happened that it's had really big legs. So it's been, it's kind of fun. You know, one and thing I love about how you did that, that is okay. um, uh, you started off with really teaching the students to be, you know, good global citizens. And, you know, that's something that you're not going to find on any test nowadays. But I, I do think it's important that we are teaching kids this, you know, that, uh, you know, you have an online presence and you can be a good citizen or a bad citizen on there. And I think right now there's two. It's kind of like the Wild West, right? There's really uh, in in many ways, thankfully, there's not really any regulation of that. But, uh, you know, we the people, we have to self-regulate. And uh, so it, it seems like, you know, as time goes on, people are realizing more and more that, you know, you have to be a good citizen online, too. Uh, but still see a lot of them out there that don't. I, I think basically what you see is online is you just see what people's natures really are. Um, people that are... Um, Trolls or griefers are just going to be trolls and griefers. You, you may not see it face to face because basically they know better than to show themselves in public because they don't want to stand up to that scrutiny. But online where it's anonymous, it's much easier. So I, I think basically it's the old axiom, um, character is what you do when nobody's around. And I think they just reveal their character that way. And I would say 98% of the people online are not that way. Um, and the two percent that are seem to get an overabundance of the um, uh, attention, and it's just like everything else. You know, ninety-five percent um, of your body can feel good, but that muscle that hurts in your leg gets all your attention. That sort of thing. Right. <laughs> Have you seen any of that negative experience? Um, uh, that's a good question. Um, I, I've had um, a couple comments left on some professional blog posts that I've written uh, that weren't particularly nice. Um, but, um, and, and occasionally something like that will happen on a student's blog post. Um, but because I moderate their, their blogs, um, that's the, the students never see it unless I make a point of showing it to them and saying, you know, this is why we don't do this. Um, but for the most part, it's not really been a problem. I think what happens is you'll get one troll that decides that they're going to, you know, be a pain for you and you'll get hit by a bunch of it. And, and then you, you feel like it's happening more than it really is. I don't, um, of course, all you have to do is go to any major news organization and see the comments that are coming on them. Every time I go look at the Huffing, Huffington Post and read the education stories, I start reading comments, and I think this is why I don't read the comments. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. That's the worst part about news. Or if you really want to think uh, proof that 
the human race is, is doomed. You go on YouTube and read a few of those comments, and it'll make <laughs> you just want to unplug your computer forever. The nice thing is the people that tend to be the worst are the ones that can't spell or use grammar appropriately. So <laughs> at least we have the, well, you're an idiot because you can't even, you know, spell your name correctly. So. <laughs> There's always that fallback. Right. Well, one of the things that I thought of in terms of like a, a, something that I would be worried about if I were to try doing something like a unit stream in class is, is just a, a catching something that could later be used against you. Even though you have the sound off, I'm thinking something like uh, in the event that the kids get into a scuffle, you know, have this video of them fighting in class and you everyone sees on, on the news channels, there's always that like video taken from a cell phone of a bus, a school bus fight or something and how that blows up into newsworthy stories. So that that's partly where I, I would be concerned with, but I think the bottom line comes down to if you have control of the classroom, then it's no different than a student sitting in the back of the room or a parent sitting in the back of the room watching. So uh, a lot of it, I think, comes down to how how the teacher works in the classroom, not necessarily what's going on because of that video camera. Yeah, and we have to realize people people in general really understand the fact that um, we're 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 dealing with kids, you know, especially junior high, high school kids that have. Um, you know, they have these emotional issues. They don't always know how to, to best express them or, or, or to, um, alleviate the tension somehow. And occasionally, you know, kids will get into arguments. They will say things and they will do things that are, that are not appropriate. Um, but you know what? It's not any different than their, often than the way their parents behave. A lot of that is modeled at home. Um, I don't really worry too much about, um, People seeing what's going on in the classroom, especially if it's a, if it's something like that that's negative, simply because it happens in every classroom. Um, there's always there's always going to be um, kids that are having a rough time, and and a lot of times um, it's the label, it's the bad kids. It's, um, what do you expect from these kids? Um, um, when and when you get to the point where you can start labeling them like that, and and you dehumanize them in that way. Then I think then's when that's when the fear sets in of um, I'm afraid that other people see what's going on in my classroom. A lot of it is these are these are these are my students. These are people I care about. They're having there's obviously a problem. We need to to find a way to solve the problem. The way they're acting out is is a problem, but that's not the root of the problem. We got to figure out what the root of the problem is. And so I I guess it's just that I'm looking at it in a different way. Perhaps I see that as an opportunity to um, use that as a, a learning experience. Obviously, there are consequences if they get into a fight. It's an immediate suspension in our district, and um, and it's made very obvious to them if that happens, that's what's going to happen. Um, I guess sometimes I think it's just worth it. Um, sometimes there's just no way for them to control how they're feeling, and they haven't learned how to do that yet. Um, so I. You know, we have, I think I've had one fight in my classroom since since I've started teaching. And it wasn't really a fight. One kid just hit another kid in the face. And that was pretty much the end of it. Um, so you, you see the, you know, you hear them barking at each other and things like that. But typically the, the fights are in the bathrooms or or um, occasionally in the gym where there's, well, yeah, where you're kind of out of reach and where the, where the buildup 
you know, if, if you hear them barking and you get them so- settled down, the chances of them fighting right then are pretty slow. But if they're in the bathroom for three or four minutes, you know, building up a little bit of steam, it's impossible to get that stopped. So it, they, and they're smart. They know. Sure. If, if, if a kid lashes out in a classroom, you know, there's something else going on in that kid's life that really needs to be dealt with that is not that immediate situation. Well, and I think uh, you could even say, uh, you know, it's interesting because you have an opportunity again to uh, observe a student's citizenship in, uh, like you said, going to other blog posts and making comments and things like that. So uh, that's also another opportunity to, you know, kind of observe those types of problems that maybe there's something else going on underneath. You, you know, if you spend time with kids and you really, and you really observe them and, and talk to them um, and develop some trust with them, which is, I think is really necessary in a classroom for them to, to uh, really learn from you and to be able to, to uh, take in what you're trying to give them. Then, and I'm, my wife will tell you that I am horrible with social cues. Um, if I notice something's going on, then it's, then everybody's already noticed. So, um, for, for me, that's a real struggle because, um, that's something that I really have to, to key in on is, um, are they behaving differently than normal and things like that? And after, after you spend a little while with them, you know, a few months with them, um, and these, the kids that I have now, I've had for years, uh, I've known them for years, um, I can tell pretty quickly if there's a problem and, um, we can typically sort the problem out before it becomes anything bigger than that. You know, the, you talk about um, uh, parents worrying about students online at school. The, you know, the kids are on Facebook at home causing problems. They're texting each other causing problems. Um, I've never had a student do anything on a computer to facilitate a fight, but they will be doing it on their cell phone in, in the middle of you know, insert class here. Um, so it's not any different than when I was a kid and we used to send notes when I'm going to beat you up after school or something. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, I always say it, it's not the, it's not the technology. That's the problem. It's, it's the people using the technology. Sometimes people uh, blame in the wrong spot. Right. And again, we try to, we try to dehumanize the situation because for one, that means if it's, if they're not human, we don't have to deal with it. We can just punish them. Um, and the other, and the other thing that we, I think, try to do is we try to generalize the situation so that, um, uh, it can be dealt with on a building level or with a class as opposed to as an individual. Um, you know, it's like, it's, it's like I tell my students, um, we, we instituted some, um, in my opinion, pretty draconian, draconian rules, you know, stay at walk on the third tile while you're walking down the hallway kind of thing. And I said, you know, you wouldn't, they wouldn't, put these rules into place if there wasn't a reason for it. I said, I don't agree with the rules, um, but if you were behaving like you're supposed to, this wouldn't have happened. And um, I think a lot of adults don't, don't explain that to kids. I don't, I, my, my point is I want to treat them like I want them to treat me. And there's been many a conversation that I've started with a student that says, I, I know you're mad, but you're not mad at me, so don't take it out on me. And that's the beginning of the conversation. You know, I'd like to do that with adults sometimes too. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, don't try that with your don't don't make that your your first impression with the new principal. Right. <laughs> oh, that, that's yeah. 
I'm I'm the guy that says things inappropriately at the wrong times because I'm clueless socially sometimes. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, just to start wrapping it up, uh, to, to get back into the positive here, uh, let's say there is a, a teacher who's kind of on the fence about this kind of stuff and the idea of opening up communication uh, in their classroom. What final point would, would you make based on all the experience you have that would really push them into uh, really considering doing something like um, a, a live webcam broadcast or Skype conversations or blogging? What would you say to that, that teacher? Um, on a personal level, um, making myself accessible is just something, is something I grew up with being in a small town. Uh, my teachers were my ball coaches for summer. They were, they were, um, they owned the businesses that I, that I would shop in. Um, so I was never under the impression that a teacher was separate from society. And I feel like being a, a part of society means, means I need to, to be accessible by my parents and I don't have a problem with them get, contacting me if they need help. And I think they really appreciate that. And I think they understand that, um, for the most part, I think they understand that, um, I have a life too and, and, um, stuff like that. But I, I think it's really important if we really want to, um, help children to learn and to grow and to mature we can't do that from a distance we have to be we have to be part of their lives we spend more time with them during the school day than their parents do we have to be willing we have to be willing to be open to conversations with their parents and and to conversations with them about things that are going to strengthen um our relationship or or strengthen their relationship with um their parents or or whatever the situation is the second thing i would uh, say is um, if you don't feel comfortable um, broadcasting what's going on in your classroom, uh, that's okay. There's, as far as I know, nobody else is doing this. Um, I would imagine it would be very difficult for most districts to see this as a positive thing, simply because um, of the issues that we've talked about before. Um, but if you um, are willing to make your classroom more transparent and are willing to Go outside of your classroom and and um, develop relationships with other um, teachers and other students in other parts of the world. The reward is tremendous. It really is. Um, three three four years ago, um, I was a content is king teacher. Now now content's not even on my radar. It's all about developing. Um, Students and helping them, helping them find ways for them to learn. And my whole, my whole, my attitude changed about what's going on in the world. Um, I'm much more involved in uh, world issues than I used to be um, at church. Um, I've become much more mission oriented with my youth group because of uh, what I've learned from other people. Um, one of the one of the things that I've um, explained to um, other teachers is. Um, if my, if, um, my generation had been Skyping into schools in Iraq, in schools in Iran, in schools in Afghanistan 25 years ago, we probably wouldn't be fighting, you know, we probably wouldn't be in a war with them because once you, once you start to realize these are people, um, they're not care, you know, they're not caricatures, they're not, um, they're not the propaganda pieces. Once you start seeing people as people, it's much harder 
she wanted to, to be harmful to them. Now, I'm not saying that um, that bad things don't happen. But what I am saying is um, we're a lot more likely to try to find peaceful solutions with people we care about than people we don't. And it's really hard to have a relationship with someone that you don't care about. Well, I think that is a perfect uh, kind of point to end on. And we usually uh, ask our guests kind of, is there a point you want to leave us with? And I think it is just that is uh, kind of getting at there's a global community out there. And, you know, we might not be used to that paradigm, but, uh, you know, these younger generations coming up uh, will be and we have to prepare them for that. So uh, it all starts in the classroom and with the teachers. I think that sounds sounds about right. Well, Bill, I want to uh, thank you so Bill, much for taking so much. time out of your out of your uh, schedule and joining us. Uh, uh, we really appreciate having you here, and of course, uh, Will, uh, uh, you're welcome to stay uh, stick around while we uh, wrap up the show. Uh, John, did you have anything else to say? No, it was just a great conversation, and, and I think you know, Bill, you just hit it right down the head when you said that you know that the teacher is not uh, this robot that gets plugged in every night. And I think that's kind of the conception I remember growing up. I think once or twice I ran into a teacher when I was in like middle school and I ran into them like in the grocery store. And I was amazed that my math teacher was buying bananas. You know, I didn't know he ate bananas, but it, it's just that kind of mentality. And, and that's going away. You know, it's interesting with education. It's a very strange profession in that it doesn't really end at the end of the school day. You know, whether you're talking about teachers who go home and grade papers for a few hours, or teachers that go home and lesson plan, or teachers that go home and continuing uh, working with with students over Skype or you know social networking sites or Twitter. I mean, it's it's a 24-hour job, and I think there's so much benefit to that that we have to start start really embracing that and using that. So, uh, excellent point that you brought up. Yeah, I think I think the teaching profession is different from other professions because you don't check out of a student's life. You, you know, if you're going to be there for that student, if you're going to develop that trust, you have to be there when they when they need it. You have to be there when their parents need it. It's If you can walk out of the door and, um, and turn that off, there's a real problem, in my opinion. Yeah, you shouldn't be teaching then. Or you should, you know, reevaluate why you're doing it, and make, you know, because... People change. I'm a perfect example of that. Sometimes we just need a kick in the hiney. That's it. That's it. Exactly. Maybe there that's the point to leave on. Just a kick in the hiney. Get everything rolling. Yeah. That, that sums up. That sums up everything we've just said. All right. We're <laughs> uh, Bill, again, thank you so much for joining us and taking time out of your schedule to uh, to come onto the show. And uh, I think it was a, another great one, uh, another great guest that John uh, lined up for us. So now is the time of the show where we uh, we turn to our tips of the week and that's our weekly segment and uh, John is really the one that comes through with a teacher tip of the week every week and you know sometimes I chime in as well so uh, John take it away uh, today it's a uh, another web-based application and it's something that I really it wasn't really on my radar until the first class session of, of the graduate uh, master's program that I'm, I'm teaching this summer I showed it to my students just kind of on a whim, just as an afterthought for something, and they just lit up. They thought it was the coolest thing ever, so I, I thought I'd share that with everyone else. Um, the website is called pen.io, so I don't know if it's penio or pen, but 
pen.io and it's very, very quick. It generates very, very quick um, web pages. I guess you call it a mix between a blog and a wiki. Um, you create a page and you can set it as a password and then you just type. It's a blank page and it really, there's not a lot of frills to it. Um, it does accept some basic HTML, uh, like hyperlinking and that kind of stuff, but it's just a place where you very quickly put information up. So, uh, I used it in my class to make a quick list for my students and I, I put my list up there and published it immediately. I didn't have to worry about setting up a, a blog account or a wiki account. Um, it literally just, it takes you 10 seconds to make a website. So, uh, it's, a cool site in the sense that it can be used for pretty much anything. So if you have a, a few extra three minutes, uh, take a look at it and see what kind of uses you could find for it. Yeah, I just I pulled it up and uh, it's pretty cool. I haven't seen this one before, but uh, yeah, it takes you five seconds to have a new page up and then you can start creating and uh, you're not going to get all the bells and whistles of a lot of other products. But if you just need to put a quick note up there on the web or whatever, there it is. Yeah, it's so cool. And I actually, I used it with my, my middle school students when they were uh, working in, in groups. They were doing a, a play script. So they're, they're writing out lines. And it was something where the actual physical look of it didn't matter. I didn't care what color the font was or what size font or anything like that. So I had them do it on here just more as a time saver because anyone who works with middle school knows they spend um, five minutes typing and 25 minutes figuring out what font to use. So I used this website to take that option away and it worked really, really well. And it was online so they can access it from home. So it's almost like a step down from using something like Google Docs. Um, just kind of a cool site. Yeah, well, and that's what I, I was, it made me think of because, you know, honestly, something like this wouldn't get much use uh, in our district, although some teachers would probably opt to use it over Google Docs. But since we are a Google Google school, uh, we get a lot of this type of collaboration in Google Docs. But uh, I think you made a great point, though. Uh, well, one, there's... Uh, there's schools out there that aren't and don't have those those kind of tools available to them. So obviously those. But uh, I think you made a good point, too, is, you know, sometimes all the overhead of the editor and all the options and everything else uh, can distract them from, you know, the actual task. So uh, this is a great clean interface where it's just like, hey, just write. Yeah, and that, that's what I liked about it. So there's my my teacher tip of the week. And you have a tech tip, correct? Right. I have a tech tip. Got one today. And it's one that I see uh, every year hap it happens and uh, some, you know, handful of teachers become dejected because, uh, uh, well, I'll just start off with saying what you, a task you need to take care of during the summer is you need to go through that any software that you use throughout the year and you need to verify that it's going to actually still work in the coming year. And uh, I see a lot of teachers that, uh, well, I've been using this software for now 10 and 12, and I think I've seen software as old as 15 years, and it's always worked, right? And it could be some print shop program or some other uh, educational program that they picked up years ago. And, uh, and they use it and, you know, that's wonderful. Um, but what ends up happening is over time that software uh, that was designed for a particular operating system, uh, now, uh, as we are getting ready to move into, uh, well, uh, Windows 7 now and at our district, we're upgrading to Windows 7 this year. Um, but even, uh, if you're staying on the same operating system and I would see it every year, we'd be on Windows XP, but you know, Windows, uh, Microsoft will, will push out updates or even Apple will push out updates. 
And uh, so the operating system that you left school on the last day of school uh, is not going to be exactly the same as when you come back. So your software may or may not work. And uh, the time to find out is not on the, the first day of class. So go through that old software uh, if you can or the best that you can. Try to coordinate with uh, some of the techs at your school district and just tell them, hey, look, this is the software I have. I want to make sure that I'm going to be able to use it again this this coming year. Um, now, I know there's districts out there that are on lockdown and teachers aren't allowed to use any of their own software, but uh, a lot of them out there are. And uh, so I just want to kind of put that in, in everybody's ear. Check it out and see. Make sure that software is going to work for you in the coming year. And if not, it, at least allow you some time to uh, make other plans. Yeah, you know, I think that applies real well to um, any kind of online subscriptions too, either that you have personally or that your district subscribes to because lots of times that stuff um, either quietly expires and then you go to log in and realize that you no longer have access or lots of times what I found is over the summer is when they do a lot of their upgrades. So you'll get in the, the first day that you want to use whatever the, the subscription website is and it looks completely different and now you have no idea how to access and, and use the, the stuff that you'd wanted to use. So another thing to keep an eye on during during the summer before school starts up again. Right, absolutely. And and there you are, you know, you've got lesson plans built out around these tools and uh, now they're just not there anymore. Uh, that I'm glad you brought that up because we ran into that here in Texas. Uh, the state was funding some of those types of uh, educational websites and things like that. And uh, with the budget crisis, those, of course, were some of the first things to get cut. So... Uh, you know, that information has been blasted out there. Uh, but, uh, you know, I don't know how many teachers actually kind of considered that and uh, how that might affect them in class. So uh, now's the time. Be mindful of it. Check it out. And, uh, you know, as you're game planning your upcoming year, uh, keep that in mind. So and, well. uh, now I guess would be the time to uh, uh, it's definitely time. We've we've run long this show. I'm kind of curious to see how it comes out after after editing. Yeah, uh, it's funny. Mark was telling me uh, just today that uh, one of our uh, it might have been episode three, but one of our shows actually came in kind of short. And uh, we usually shoot for an hour, but I think that episode came in at like forty or forty two minutes. And uh, uh, I said, well, you know, it is what it is. You know, <laughs> yeah. You don't want to stretch it out artificially. So, uh, so here we are now. We're running about 20 minutes over. So, uh, I guess we, we made did, up. Yeah. We borrowed the 20 minutes that from, uh, last week and we've put it into this show. So, um, you get a little extended version. But, uh, I, in the interest of wrapping it up, I'll move on to, uh, how you might contact us if you f uh, feel so inclined. Uh, you can email us at the tightwad teacher, or I should say tightwad teacher at element opie.com uh, or find us on our website the website's actually the best place to interact with us and you can get all of the information that you need at elementopie.com uh, that's e-l-e-m-e-n-t-o-p-i-e.com uh, you can follow us on twitter at elementopie uh, is the uh, so at elementopi is the actual Twitter handle, and uh, once you go there, uh, you find the elementopi page, and there's lists there, and you can follow. Uh, basically, you'll get the streams of the hosts for uh, any of our shows. So uh, there'll be a list there. You follow that list, and you'll get both of mine and John's uh, uh, Twitter feeds. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook.com/slash 
Element Opie. And we just got our vanity URL on that. So you have to get so many likes before you actually get that uh, URL there. And uh, we just got that. So I can tell you all to go check that out. Otherwise, you would have had to just go and search for us. Uh, and last but not least, you can actually call us uh, at 530-FRUGAL2. F-R-U-G-A-L. Uh, so 530-FRUGAL2. You can call, leave us a message, and uh, it may very well get played back on the show. Um, I will just ask that you indicate that it is for our show because we have that one number uh, across our network at this point. So, uh, and, th- Oh, go ahead. And now, Sean, how long until we add uh, Google Plus to the, the long list of ways to contact? Oh, well, I got to tell you, we were uh, recording the Tightwad Tech last night, and we actually tried it, and it was extremely ambitious to do so because, uh, you know, we're running Skype, and then uh, I don't know if you've played around with the Hangouts yet in that, but... Uh, but we're So the Hangouts is really one of the best features because it's a group video chat. Uh, in Google Plus. So we thought, gosh, that would be great for the shows because uh, we've had some limitations with Skype as far as uh, how far we can go with that with the show. So we tried it, but at the same time, we were running Skype. So uh, the conversation between the hosts was on Skype, and then we thought we'd run a Hangout and maybe have some listeners be able to go into the Hangout, and how cool would that be? And uh, it, it just didn't all work. You know, that's it's... I guess it's hard to describe, but those technologies try to share certain portions of your computer at the same time. You know, they're trying to send audio and video at the same time and it didn't work out very well, but uh, we're going to keep an eye on it because uh, right now the sound out of Skype is much better. And uh, if the Hangouts can get the audio quality up to that level, uh, it might be the way to go in the future. Yeah, something to look at. Right. Absolutely. So, uh, and, and I guess it's a good, uh, good time to actually mention that as well is that in the future, we'll be looking to add interactivity to our show. We do have it with, uh, with uh, many of our other shows. Uh, so where we'll have live, uh, live streaming. So you can join us live and chat with us while we're recording the show, ask us questions, things like that. Um, and who knows that may even, yes, like you said, one day happen, uh, as a Google hangout. So. Uh, I guess that's it. You have anything else to add, John? No, I think it was another another good show. It really was. It really was. And uh, uh, Bill was a great guest. So uh, we will uh, have much more uh, to, to throw at you next week. And uh, we'll wrap it up for this week. So I'll just say for now, uh, this is Sean signing off. And John signing off. 